This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the PWI Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer, Al Castle, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Salmon. What's going on, Brian? Happy to be here as always, Al. Thank you yes, for having me. Good to be back with you. Plenty to talk about a little quicker turnaround than usual, uh, and that's good. And uh, we've spent so much time the last few months talking about WWE, you know, rightfully so, with it's the biggest time of the year with WrestleMania and then the Endeavor merger and all that. Uh, we're going to kind of turn the page this week and uh, catch up a little on AEW. They've been in the news uh, a lot as of late, some good, some maybe not so good. We'll discuss uh, all of that, the potential return of CM Punk, uh, the plans to book Wembley Stadium for what should be their biggest show uh, ever, uh, maybe a new TV show in the works for them on Saturdays. Uh, we'll talk about all of it. Uh, also going to do a little bit of a check-in on Impact Wrestling. They're also coming off of a big weekend uh, with their rebellion show uh, crowning two new world champions, uh, they had both a vacant men's women events uh, world title and a women's world title, and uh, they filled both of them interestingly with people who were married to each other. Uh, so um, <laughs> we'll talk about that, and also uh, a big debut and impact and what he can mean for the company uh, going forward. Speaking of impact and the women's world championship, I've got in my hands the. June issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, one of the cooler co covers we've done uh, in a long time. I think it's it's fair to say, and then uh, it's getting a lot of love. I saw Mike Sempervivi over at uh, Wrestling Observer talking a bit about it. Uh, a throwback to the uh, the old UWF uh, trophy uh, cover from it's got to be forty years ago almost now, right? I think it was eighty seven, early eighty seven. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we got uh, the knockouts of the women's division to pose, uh, grabbing, uh, reaching for uh, what was Mickey's title, not uh, anymore. A fun feature in here by Jason McVeigh looking at the knockout scene, which he says is uh, the strongest it's ever been. Uh, and a lot more in this issue. Uh, again, speaking of impact, your hot seat interview with the newsmaker uh, this weekend, uh, Nick Aldis. Uh, while, while we're on it, um, you know, did you feel the news is he he showed up on uh, Rebellion and looks to be a major player now uh, in their world title scene? Did uh, he foreshadow any of that at all in your conversation with him? No. And in fact, when I did it a couple. Well, I mean, it, it, it was at the time that I actually did the interview. It might have been not long after the Royal Rumble, believe it or not, and the you know the, the length of time of all these things and everything. Because I remember we were partly talking about how, oh, you know what? A lot of people thought we were going to see you in the Rumble the other day, like that kind of thing, you know, because there was that that talk. So I honestly don't think at that time that he really knew where he was going to land yet. I think he was enjoying doing the indie thing, like kind of like doing something similar to what Cody did when he left. WWE and kind of having some dream matches and working in places where he really wanted to work. He was wrestling for Bret Hart up in Cal Calgary and things like that. Um, but, you know, it's now it's a very timely interview. I mean, Impact did come up just among the many options of where he could go because I was trying when I did the interview to not just dwell on um, 
the Billy Corgan NWA stuff because that had been the whole, um, you know, kind of like dialogue and discourse when he left that that's all anybody wanted to talk about for a while. He did the interview with Sam Roberts and everything. And I could tell that he didn't want to just, you know, make it all about that. So I tried to be forward looking and talk about all the different options. Uh, but I think at the time we did the interview, it wasn't really known, although it seems like a good place for him to wind up. I mean, look, I, I'm sure that anybody in the business would love to go to WWE, especially someone like Nick, who, who's never been there before and all that. But uh, partly we know that WWE has a, supposedly a hiring freeze going on now in the wake of the sale and everything. Uh, and I don't know if that played a part, just similarly with Jay White going to AEW and stuff like that. But I do think it's a great place for Nick to be. And I'm sure that coming in there, I mean, he hasn't been full-time in Impact in like eight years or something crazy like that. And now he's a bigger deal than he was when he left. So I think he's in a really good position. And I'm sure that his returning, you know, one of the conditions of that, similar to what happened with Cody, is that, you know, he'd be treated like a major star, which is what he is. So I think it's a good move. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of the perfect move. You talk about, you know, two uh, people or, or, or institutions that need each other, you know, Impact and Nick Aldis, they, they just fit perfectly. You know, I remember some of the buzz about whether Nick Aldis would show up in the Royal Rumble. To me, it was kind of wishful thinking. I, you know, I think the reality is if he did, it wouldn't have meant a whole lot. A lot of people watching, certainly the building, wouldn't have known who he was. Um Impact is kind of the perfect fit for him and the perfect fit for Impact because he does have this following. He does have this uh, credibility and respect that he built over his time uh, in the NWA. The reality is that only carries over so much to most other large organizations, whether you're talking in, in AEW, it might mean a little bit more because they've had this relationship um, with the NWA where they've featured their wrestlers and their titles. In WWE, it would have meant nothing, uh, honestly. Uh, and impact, it means everything uh, because he's their guy. I mean, he and that was one of the I thought he did a great job on commentary in that main event. And he he um, did a, a really good job of putting over the impact world title. And he said this, you know, this talk, talk about this being his first world title and the prestige of that championship. Um, so I think this is a relationship that sort of like fits like a glove. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, the AEW thing. Um, I do think that it, he would have gotten over better there than, say, WWE for the reason that you explain. I mean, that's one of the things that they do well, at least try to do, which is acknowledge these people that are stars that sometimes a lot of the fans may not know. They're good at that. I mean, they do it with the people coming in from Japan all the time. I mean, where you have to imagine a lot of American fans are going like, who is this guy? But they, but they make you understand that this is somebody that's important that you should care about. So, I mean, I think they would have handled him better than WWE would. But um, Impact is, I think, for him right now, the better option than, than AEW. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think – would he have done better in AEW than WWE? Sure. Um, AEW is very crowded. And guys like Nick Aldis, with that kind of level of reputation and, and where he is at his career, um, the reality is he would have been crowded out of the very top of the main event scene. Could he earn his way in into a spot there? 
uh, sure, it might have taken a while if it ever happened. He comes into impact. Hey, I think we've got somebody joining us. Uh, hold on a sec. Sure. Jason McVeigh, very last minute. <laughs> I think I might have just woken the guy up. Uh, apologies, gentlemen. No, I apologize. I literally was woken you up. about uh, a minute before uh, we started. Uh, our, our original guests, I, I guess, could make it. And uh, we're talking impact. You, you wrote uh, uh, this uh, column in the, the latest uh, issue about the impact women. Um, so thanks for uh, joining us, uh, Peter Bay contributor Jason McVeigh. Uh, the topic right now, uh, uh, Nick Aldis joining uh, Impact Wrestling, and uh, we both think it, it's a terrific move. I was just saying, you know, he could have gone to AEW and been in the mix, but probably not in, in the very top mix. He goes to Impact, and I think you could argue is the top guy already uh, in Impact Wrestling. Do you agree, Jason? Absolutely. Um, I think I, I mentioned this to someone recently. I said if he had gone to WWE, they've never really seemed interested in him. So what Viable lot was, if he had gone to AEW, he would have just been another guy on the roster, somewhere towards the bottom, most likely. Coming back to Impact, it's completely different from his original run there as Magnus. He's went away. He's established himself as a top guy in a promotion of that kind of size. He comes back, as you say, as one of the top guys now in Impact, I think. I just I would put one small asterisk on the AEW thing with him because I think a while back there was some rumbling of him coming in there because I think the time to have done that would have been when Cody was still there yeah. because they could have built on and I think they would have built on the history between those two and the idea of a rubber match that kind of thing that that there was some interest in but I think that was probably his best hope for being in the main event picture in AEW, at least in the short term. You know, he could have been brought in the same way they were bringing in the NWA women's champions, even though he wasn't with the NWA anymore and kind of treating them as stars. But I think that window has kind of closed now. So I think, yeah, this was the move for him. Yeah. And, and I mean, we should just have this discussion. I was planning to do it later, but while we're on the topic of, of impact, uh, Steve Macklin, they, they they put the world title on him uh, very much in an unknown quantity, I think, for a lot of the wrestling world. Um, I think it's a and, and clearly they're, they're going right to Aldis and, and Macklin uh, as a, a program. I think here's a situation where the the challenger can really make the champion right uh, in, in as much as, uh, again, Macklin, a bit of, a, of an unknown to, to most fans. Um, Impact sees something in him i gotta say i don't know that i'm completely sold just yet on on macklin i like him i don't know that that i love him you know um he different than than josh alexander where i was at a rebellion uh last year where uh, alexander won the title and i had already seen it in him but he was a guy who like all right here's your your opportunity this is the biggest match of your career step up and i thought he did and i thought he delivered a tremendous performer performance this is alexander a year ago this was Macklin's opportunity to, to do that. Uh, you know, a, a different different circumstances, different opponent in, in Kushida, kind of thrown together somewhat last minute um, because of Alexander's uh, injury. Uh, and it was fine. I think Macklin's fine. I think he's good. I like them investing in uh, kind of a, a homegrown a guy who they see something in. Again, I don't know that I'm totally sold on him. I think Albus is sort of just what the doctor ordered. Uh, in helping make Macklin. Uh, 
under that scenario, though, Aldis would be chasing for a while. I mean, I th- I th- I don't think if, if you have Aldis go in and, and beat uh, a Macklin in their first match, I don't know if that really helps Macklin kind of be cemented as a top guy. Jason, any thoughts on that? Oh, Jason's kind of frozen. Oh, yeah. He was standing right. still for so long, I couldn't <laughs> tell. I guess he is frozen. Either that or yeah. he's like petrified or something. Well, mm. wh- why don't you take that, uh, Brian? Any thoughts on on uh, on Macklin and uh, C. Macklin and what he brings to the Sorry, table? Sorry, guys. I'm not no, sure. That's all right. You're moving around a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I agree that he's a he's a little bit of an unproven commodity, yeah. but but I feel like they needed that right now. That they they it was the time to kind of try something and call an audible. And I also think they're probably going to be relying on Aldis to sort of elevate the situation. And it's probably a matter of getting it the belt to him anyway. I'm kind of wondering if they already knew he was coming in when they were kind of planning all this. So, I mean, I think that's part of it too. I, I don't, I don't know if Macklin is real, if we're really looking at a long-term champion here. Yeah. Jason, I think we've got you now. Any thoughts on, on Steve Macklin as the, the new top guy world champion in impact? Yeah. I think, you know, as someone who's personally does watch impact every week, I uh, know not everyone does, but there has been a slow and steady build with Macklin to this point. So you could kind of see this coming, and I really do believe even if Josh Alexander hadn't got injured, we probably would have saw Steve Macklin still winning the title. Um, The difference is I think fans have accepted him as a challenger. Now it will be do they accept him as the champion going forward? And I think Nick Aldis will play a big part in actually establishing Macklin as the champion. So, yeah, we will see. So, so I think it's great that 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 um, uh, you seem to be uh, more of a fan than than Brian and I are uh, in terms of being a a weekly watcher of Impact. I, I admit I'm not watching as closely as as I used to. Um, so, w- what does Macklin bring to the table? He has that intensity. He has that kind of bully mentality. That kind of an old school heel character. Um, Following on from Josh Alexander is a tough ask because he was an excellent champion, in my opinion. Um, It will be just, how does Macklin establish himself as a dominant heel champion? It could be a case, as maybe Brian touched on there, that Aldis could just take the title from him pretty quickly. But just having seen the build that Impact have put into Macklin, I wouldn't be surprised if they do run with him for a while and maybe feed him like the likes of Aldous to kind of build him up there. But I think there's a lot of work that still needs to go into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it sets up a pretty strong bound for glory main event in as much as that's still like their big show of the year. Uh, and I think that's a reasonable length chase between now and, and October. You could, you could do a match uh, between the two of them ahead of that, even maybe at a slam anniversary, but uh, Aldous comes up short and, and you drag it out. Um, and I think that's a money match. Uh, for in as much as impact can have a money match uh, these days. Um, but sort of big picture of, of impact. Again, these pay-per-views are sometimes kind of like the um, the check-in for some somewhat casual fans uh, uh, like myself. And um, generally I liked what I saw, right? I mean, I thought like production value was, was pretty spot on. Um, the, the other big move obviously was putting the, the women's title. I mean, just crazy circumstances that two of their titles end up vacated and then uh, won by uh, a married couple. 
um, Deanna Peraza winning uh, a championship. Um, it's cool that, you know, one kind of like the, the, the uh, less talked about stories, uh, WWE gets so much credit for how progressive they've been with their women's division and impact really was at the forefront of that. And here kind of like not even talked about that much. They just headlined with a, a, a women's uh, a title match. Um, uh, talk a bit about that, Jason. I mean, in terms of what, you know, you, you wrote the, uh, the feature in the new magazine uh, talking about it being the strongest knockouts division. And that says a lot given the history of that division. I mean, again, they were really kind of the pioneers in some of this. Uh, wh wh why do you think the, the women's division right now is so strong? And is Deanna Perrazzo the uh, the right uh, flag bearer for that division? The division's so strong right now, I think, just based on the amount of talent. And there's a great diversity in the talent that they have. They are not really interchangeable. There's a lot of different characters, a lot of different wrestling styles. I touched on it in the in the feature in the magazine, just of the, the so, so much diversity in the division. Um, this is the second pay-per-view in a row that the women have headlined. Um, Hard to Kill had Mickey James and Jordan Grace in the main event, so this is Jordan's second pay-per-view. She's main evented in a row, so Impact are kind of beyond the stage of kind of trumpeting that as a big deal now. It's just part of what they do, right. and it is almost at the stage where, where it's kind of 50-50, the weekly show between the men and the women of you know the amount of action that you're getting. Uh, but I think it's the diversity of the women and the strength of them. They're all pretty good wrestlers that, that make it special. Um, going forward with that, you know, I think Deanna is the right choice for me personally. I think right now, I think they need to bring a bit of stability to that just with Mickey's injury. Um, there's plenty of other up-and-coming women that they can elevate to that. I think Deanna will help with that as well. But I think for right now, she's the perfect person to have the title. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I guess I, I enjoy Impact. Whenever I, I do turn it on, it kind of puts a smile on my face. Um, I feel like we do this episode once a year, every year, where we talk about the problem is they still have all that baggage, right, from uh, whatever it is, almost 20 years of, of TNA. And uh, I think they've largely washed it off, but uh, some of it is uh, still there. Um, what... You know, they're obviously also dealing with just sort of like budget issues and production issues. It doesn't look as major league as it did uh, 10, 15 years ago. The crowds are smaller. It It's sort of uh, like a televised indie uh, kind of thing, but, but on a high level. And one of the things that I kind of like about that is, um, you know, people look to an, an AEW as a place that will grab up like the, the best independent talent. Uh, and feature them uh, on television and, and make uh, uh, national, international stars out of them. And, and I think that's true. Uh, but because of where Impact Spot is, they're, they have to kind of like um, take that extra step of identifying independent talent that hasn't been spotted, you know, by the, the biggest uh, promoters um, or scouts. And... Uh, they're, they, they're really taking chances and risks on wrestlers that haven't even necessarily really um, gained that reputation, but somebody there sees something in them and rolls the dice with them. And that's how um, you, you know, and, and, and they get it right a, a lot of the time. I mean, you, you see a lot of those people move on now to NXT or to, to AEW. So, you know, almost filling the role of what Ring of Honor did for so long. You know, Impact's doing that now. I, I think it makes for a fun product. They they find space for 
um, some veterans with some name recognition that still have some uh, gas left in, in the tank, like, you know, the Kazarian types. Uh, so, uh, you know, you still see like the Motor City machine guns floating around there and, and Tommy Dreamer and, and Bully Ray. So uh, I, I quite like what Impact is doing these days. Brian, are you enjoying it? I do, and uh, like you're saying, I mean, they, they've they've kind of, they've pivoted for sure. I mean, it's not the same company that it was. And the thing that I noticed, though, and because I do, I don't, I don't think think I follow it as close as Jason, but I do follow it because of wrestling news, and I, I report on the weekly shows and things like that. So I have an idea of what's happening in the fan base. The impression that I get is that their audience right now is i mean it's a smaller audience i think their issue is that they need to it would be great if they could bring in new fans that were new to the product because i think that would really help them to you know complete this rebrand and really be something different whereas i i get the sense that the large majority of their fan base are people that have been watching a very long time yeah. and so they all remember all that stuff that impact doesn't want them to remember so much anymore i think it would be great if there was that influx of fans who were like wow what this is pretty cool what is this you know that kind of thing that's that should really be a focus for them yeah what what do you think gets them there jason you know and 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 what's limiting you know they've got the tv that they they've got um it's it's not as good as it was once upon a time in terms of you know when they were on spike it's better than it was other times when they were on destination america um you know they're they're owned by the the company that's got them on tv so you know that there's uh they're going to promote them and support them they're out there doing occasional shows in kind of small, mid-sized venues. You know, where I saw Rebellion last year was the old uh, Mid-Hudson Civic Center in, in Poughkeepsie. Um, but, you know, they, they only had the floor open, so it wasn't even like a big uh, a setup or anything like that. This place, uh, which is, I guess, in, in their backyard, was at Toronto where they were? They were in Ontario somewhere. Yeah. I thought it looked great on TV. Yeah. The, the Rebel Complex is one of the best venues TNA – or sorry, Impact, see? Freudian slip there. Uh, yeah. One of the best venues that Impact goes to, or that TNA maybe has ever gone to. It looks fantastic on TV. Uh, and I think that really kind of reflected in Rebellion. Um, in terms of what they do, I don't know. I don't, as someone who has watched the product from 2002, I think the time has almost came and gone where they're ever going to be a number two company or ever going right. to be near that again. I think AEW is now here and Impact aren't going to to overtake them. I think that's gone. I think what you're seeing with Impact is I think they have settled into that number three role, the likes of a Ring of Honor, the likes of an ECW, and you can see influences of both of those promotions in what Impact is doing now. Um, so I think maybe going forward, they need to establish themselves as the firm number three and maybe just run with that and provide that kind of outlet for fans who maybe just want something a bit different because there is some wacky things in Impact, you know, People get stabbed, people get bumped off and murdered. And, you know, <laughs> if you're into that, great impacts for you. And I think as exactly what Brian said, most of the viewers of Impact are people like myself who have watched for years. I would be really curious to see what new fans who are new to the product actually think of the current product. Because I dare say it is good and you will see things that you're not getting in WWE or AEW. And I think if they can attract those fans to that, they might get somewhere. 
Right, because you know fan turnover in wrestling is a real thing. So you can't lose track of the fact that now it's been a number of years. So if you're a young wrestling fan, let's say you're like a, a guy in your 20s or whatever, like you don't even remember when when TNA started, you know? You know what I mean? Like we're at that point now. So you do have that opportunity for fans who don't have the connotations maybe that a lot of older fans have simply because they're so young. Like if you're a fan that started, I mean, they say that a lot of the fans cycle like in seven year cycles. So let's say that you're a fan that started watching in 2016, right? I mean, that didn't know anything about wrestling before that. That's a great opportunity for, for a company like impact. You know, you could just walk right in and, and that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking of now, just because, you know, it's been a long time since those days. Like, and I think that's a good thing for them. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, they can really benefit, again, from becoming the company that spots that talent. You know, again, the role that Ring of Honor um, played for a long time where, you know, when I was going to Ring of Honor shows in the uh, mid 2000s, like you knew you were watching future WrestleMania headliners uh, and you were, you know, I mean, the, the, it was Seth Rollins and it was John Moxley and it was well, actually Moxley, not so much, but um Samoa Joe, you know, go on and on. It's most of the WWE roster these days, Kevin Owens. Um, and for for so long, uh, it was sort of the opposite with Impact, where the, for better or for worse, the reputation was, if you worked at Impact, nobody's going to touch you. I mean, certainly WWE uh, was hands-off of anybody who worked uh, on Impact. It was like this that TNA stench. There was the, and the couple times they did it, they had kind of buyer's remorse, whether it was, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy who's Chris the Chris Chris Harris, yeah, you know, and and a couple others, you know, uh, uh, Monty well, they, Brown. They got our truth. Yeah, but they had our truth before <laughs> TNA had our truth. But not um, only, but, I got to say one thing about our truth, though. It, it lest we forget, because I remember when he came in, that was a big deal when he came in because TNA. I know we, now he's a, now he's a comedy wrestler, fine, but TNA made him into a bigger star than he had sure. ever been. He became the NWA world champion. He was such a big star. This is how you know WWE recognized it because the name they gave him was a reflection of right. what his TNA name was. I mean, they didn't even all of a sudden go like, hey, uh, K-Quick. Yeah, K-Quick, K-Quick is back. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, yeah. they acknowledged this is Ron the Truth Killings. Like they, they acknowledged that. So, I mean, like that to me was one of the success stories, even though they turned him – Look, I have no problem with wrestlers that that play the comedy role. I think our truth is phenomenal, but he he was very quickly in a de- very different place than where he was when he came in. Yeah, all the way to the bank. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and and but but you know that's changed in the in the last few years. It's sort of been subtle, but you've seen WWE pick up some some impact guys and and do well with them. You see, you know what what Wesley is doing on on NXT and and. Uh, AEW uh, as well, you know, whether it was uh, Ethan Page or, or some others that that they grabbed, who um, I think have been good pickups. I mean, these aren't, you know, world beater kind of guys, uh, but they're they're good, solid hands. And if Impact can can keep up with that and and, um, you know, develop the reputation for scouting talent early, uh, you know, in, in Page's case, maybe not that early. Uh, but you know, being the guys that that identify those next new stars, that could be a really important role for them. 
Um, and so uh, I think they need to jump into that. I think getting behind Steve Macklin is is the kind of thing you do. And, you know, Macklin fits that mold of a guy who was in, in WWE developmental, didn't really work out. WWE didn't see anything in uh, him. And rather than than take the guy and kind of like, oh, he was on WWE, let's let's put him on television and keep the same gimmick and cash in. They stripped it down, repackaged him, and came up with something that that really works. And now, uh, if if he so chooses, I imagine Macklin will be uh, a much uh, more important commodity whenever his contract comes up. And that's exactly how this is supposed to work. So uh, good for them. I think Scott Demore is a real smart guy. So uh, yeah, I think they're they've settled into something. And I think the TNA stench. It's tough because on one hand, it's the TNA stench. On the other hand, it's the TNA legacy. It's 20-something years of, of history of and, and a company that at one time was pretty successful and, um, you know, drawing more viewers than, than Monday Night Raw does uh, now and on some weeks. So uh, as, as kind of laughable as it was, TNA was a big deal for a while. And you don't want to abandon that legacy altogether. So it's complicated, right? It's very complicated, yeah. yeah. Almost with them themselves, whenever they're kind of referring to their history as TNA or bringing up things from the past, they kind of do it in almost like a, a backhanded kind of compliment way where we are maybe a little bit embarrassed by this, but it's still our history, and so here you go with it. Um, I think credit to Scott Demore, you, you brought him up there, Al. Um, he's been a very steady hand for Impact, which is something they didn't always have throughout the years. There was so much turnover in creative and management in TNA. Scott Demore is a very creative guy. He's also very smart and has a very good eye for talent. And I think that has served them well in the past few years as they transitioned into this new kind of era of the company. Yeah, he's also a good on-air authority figure in that he sort of plays it straight. He's, um, I was going to say he's Jack Tunney. But that's good though, right? Because he's he's the authority figure that can take a bump, right? You know, so yeah, he gets true. out there and he gets in wrestlers' faces, and he has a little bit of credibility because he was a wrestler. Uh, but he could also knock him out, and and you know the fans get outraged when he does. So it makes for good television. I, so. I think it's nice to have a credible babyface authority figure. Right. Like that's a real throwback in wrestling that you don't see a lot anymore. You know that that type of role, and and he does it well. But but also a guy credible. But also, uh, you, you could beat him up, and he should get beaten up, right? Yeah. So he's a guy who, when Macklin sucker punches him from the back, he should sell it like he was, you right. know, knocked But down. I mean, credible in the sense that, you know, fans take him seriously. Sure. Yeah. He's not like, you know, so that when something happens, people care, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And, and also, another guy who, see, that's the thing about TNA is that there's a real positive part of that legacy, right? And, um, you know, his act, what were they called? The, uh, Team Canada. Uh, Team Canada, yeah, with Bobby Roode and, and Eric Young. You know, that was one of the highlights of, of their formative days. It was a good act. Uh, and, you know, as were the Motor City Machine Guns and, and some other stuff. So uh, they, they've they got real positive parts of their legacy. And I think, you know, that it's finding that balance where you can remind, you know, older fans, of, this was really cool stuff we used to do and, and it's part of our history. And maybe – make them forget about Dixie Carter and some other stuff that you're not so uh, proud of. Um, let, let's pivot to talking about uh, AEW. Uh, again, w for, for so many months, it seemed like they had lost so much momentum because WWE was really coming on strong uh, and building to WrestleMania and then the Endeavor, a merger, all that. Uh, it feels like right after 
WrestleMania, they sort of seize on the opportunity of like, okay, WWE's kind of moving on. We have a little bit of an opening here. Let's let's make some news. And and they've been doing it. You know, the, the, the Dynamite after WrestleMania, they announced uh, they're coming to Wembley Stadium for what should be their biggest show ever uh, all in. Um, and the around the same time, whether it's intended or not, the rumors start swirling uh, again about CM Punk's uh, return. L- let's start there. Um, you know, Brian, we, we often talk about what's best for business. This is a tricky one, right? Because on one hand, he's maybe the biggest star in your company, one of the biggest stars in, in all of wrestling, uh, a, a proven needle mover when he first showed up to AEW now a couple of years ago, less so toward the end of his run uh, last year, a terrific performer when inspired, but potentially, and I don't want to overstate things, but, but you know, a, a is it too much to say a cancer in your locker room? I mean, I think it was some people would call him that at least um, he was once, but certainly a, a disruptive presence in your locker room, a, a potential um, someone with the potential to, to really lower morale uh, back there. So you have to balance that out. And he's a guy who's not just rubbing, you know, the cold cabanas of, of the world um, the wrong way. But your executive VPs, right? I mean, he's he's out there like uh, mother effing, you know, the your executive VPs, wh- whether it's um, well, Tony Khan, not so much, but the Bucks and Omega and all that. That's a real problem. Uh, so the the talk is he's likely coming back. That you know Tony Khan is um, figuring out some kind of deal. It's unclear whether this comes with some kind of. Um, apology or or some show of remorse some some uh, accountability by punk for his role in in the whole blow up uh but this is all to say is this the right move brian and and is this what's best for aw's business i think it is the right move and i think um i i put some conditions on this when i heard the wembley stadium thing the first thing i thought of in my head oh he's definitely coming back because otherwise why in the world You know, I know people have questioned the business decisions of Tony Khan. And in my head, I'm thinking like, if this was anybody that whose wrestling judgment is really solid and their business acumen is really solid, then absolutely the reason that you booked Wembley Stadium is because you have lined up CM Punk versus Kenny Omega or CM Punk and FDR versus Kenny Omega and the Bucks, something like that. Already signed, sealed, delivered. Otherwise you're facing a potential disaster, at least in my eyes. I mean, I feel like I know they have a long lead time and everything, but correct me if I'm wrong. And Jason, I think the, the um, visibility of AEW is lower in the UK than it is here. Um, And so I, and I would question their ability to sell out a stadium of that size here, you you know? So, I mean, uh, the idea that, you have to have something very special. Otherwise, why would you do that? Now, I don't know that that's a given because it's we've seen this company make some really baffling decisions in the past. But I think it's very, very likely. And I think it's the thing you got to do. I think everybody, and this goes for Punk too, everybody, you need to put it aside. It's over. Look, this is not the first locker room fight that has happened in wrestling history, for God's sake. You've got to set it aside and realize you have the ability to do something really special here. You want to get your momentum back from WWE. You want to 
You want to get the buzz back and all this at a time when a lot of people are questioning WWE's top creative. This is the moment to do it. This is what you do. You set it aside. Do I think that Punk is going to live happily ever after and have a long, fruitful career with AEW? I think that's probably not the way to go. But I think in the short term, to to pop to to pop some good numbers with him and and pay off and give fans something that they could really say, oh my god, I cannot miss this show. I think it absolutely is the right thing to do to bring him back. You don't have to love everyone that you work with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and, and Jason, I'm going to go to you for a second, but a couple of things on that. And and I think you you clarified it. Uh, maybe not necessarily the best long term uh, move, but. You've got this show. You you need it to be important. You need to put as many people in that building as you can. Uh, but devil's advocate, you know, you got shows after that, and and months after that, and years after that, and it really the issue really was, you know, all out last year is where the powder keg exploded, um, and and there was that fight. But really, it had been growing for the whole time that Punk had been there. We'd been hearing stories about how difficult he was uh, to work with. So this really is about more than just one locker room fight. It's about a guy who um, people had a really hard time uh, getting along with. And right. uh, uh, morale is an important thing. And I think that's where the decision has to be made even beyond this one show. Now, if, if it's a matter of like, do we bring him back for one night? That's fine. I mean, then it's sort of like the special attraction thing. But um, beyond that, I guess the talk is they're, they're launching this new show on Saturdays and there's talk that it's going to kind of be built around CM Punk, whatever that is. Uh, so beyond one show, it, it sounds like the plans are for him to be back and uh, very much factor into their plans and be one of the guys they build around. And I don't know how how some people, you know. It's, I imagine it's going to require some conversations and some self-awareness that hasn't been there on, on all parts. And and this isn't all on Punk. Not everything that he said was off. He made some some valid points. Uh, you know, I don't know if he, he dealt with it the most professional way, uh, but it's not to say, you know, Punk was 100% wrong and everybody else was 100% right. Uh, but, but Jason, I guess I'll ask you the same thing. Do you think this would be a good move for AEW? I think I'll agree with Brian. In the short term, yes, it's a it's a great move. And in terms of building up to the Wembley show and helping sell it out or get whatever ticket sales you can, it's a smart move. He has a track record that isn't sparkling in this kind of a, a scenario. Um, everywhere he has gone, it seems to have ended the same way, with maybe the exception of Ring of Honor. I don't know what's going to be different this time. And I've heard rumors like this new Saturday show is pretty much going to be based on the fact that he can't be in the same place as maybe Omega and the Bucks and stuff. So it'll be separate rosters for all intents and purposes. So from a business perspective, it's absolutely smart for AEW. I just don't know from a morale perspective and how that's going to play out. Here's the issue with Punk, if I can add something to this. Um, you know, look, it's no secret. This isn't, you know, headlines or anything that he's he's got an ego. He's one of these guys that has a very keen sense of his self-worth, maybe a little inflated at times, but he's not your typical wrestler. A lot of times we're used to wrestlers who are just willing to just get stepped on and rolled over, and that's just the way the business works. Do whatever you want because I want to keep my spot. I want to keep my job, and that's the expectation. Punk is not one of the guys that does that. And, and the problem is 
you take he's not perfect. You take a guy like that and you put him in a scenario like AEW, that's like a it, it can be a powder keg because look, this guy had issues in WWE, which is a far more from everything we know and have heard, a far more kind of professional type of environment, a lot more centralized control at the top of Vince McMahon really kind of holding everything down and calling the shots in a much more authoritative way than we see with Tony Khan. And even there, Punk had a hard time coexisting because of everything he would perceive as personal slights and times that he felt like he wasn't being positioned the right way. Fine. And when he left, I mean, I I, I was behind him when he left because I said, you, you know, you got to look out for yourself in the business and more guys should be looking out for themselves. But you take a guy like that who has that attitude and you put him in a place like AEW, which can sometimes be like a, you know, like a like a kindergarten or something. It's almost like the yeah. perfect storm of disaster because he can't let things roll off his back the way some people can. So, I mean, that's where I see like the two way street. He's not totally wrong. He didn't handle things the right way. I can also imagine frustration with the people that he's had frustration with. I feel frustration just hearing about the things they do and say. So, I mean, I get it. But uh, that's why I, I think that I don't know if it's a long-term fit, but I do think for short-term business and to get people thinking AEW is hot again, it's the move for now. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you really touch on on something interesting, which is, you know, the same factors um, that make Punk so difficult to work with are why he is the star that he is, right? I mean, he he is kind of his own man. He, he It's the whole punk culture thing, right? I mean, he, he marches to the beat of his own drum. He could give a damn what authority says. He's going to always do what's best for him and look out for himself. Uh, and I think that's what's ingratiated him to, to fans over the years and what makes it so difficult for him to exist in a culture like AEW where it is very kumbaya. We're all in, in this together. It It's younger you know, um, and, and I, yeah, he's probably rolling his eyes a lot, you know, in that locker room or just about how people talk and get along. And, you know, I was, this just came to my mind, but, but I was in a GameStop the other day buying, a, looking for something for one of my kids and they've got um, these uh, Street Fighter branded AEW uh, toys, right? And there's like a uh, an old wrestling buddy that is Kenny Omega, but it's Kenny Omega as a certain Street Fighter character. I don't know Street Fighter well, and they have a bunch of figures too. And to me, that is so like inside. I mean, for one thing, they didn't seem to be selling real well, right? But it, it it's such a, you know I think that's the kind of idea you have when you got a bunch of buddies who are really into Street Fighter video games running this company right it's like would it be really cool if we made like street fighter figures yes. but they were us uh and they do and the stuff for themselves they do it to, yeah. to pop themselves yeah. yeah yeah and some of it works some of it doesn't work um again i've had mixed feelings on the punk thing i also totally get the importance of morale and and, and you can't you know regardless of whether they should be that way, the reality is that the, the brain trust in AEW is a certain way. Um, and you, you throw in this, this kind of toxic, you know, ingredient in there that just cannot play well with others. And, uh, you know, you could say, well, but he, he drives ratings and all that, but also people have to work with this guy every day. And I think we've all been in those jobs where there's that one guy and he might sell, more printers than than anybody you know in in the office and and you know deliver the big numbers 
but he's impossible to be around. And you have to make that decision. Is it, well, is, is it worth it? You know? Yeah. And I think in this scenario, look, even if you go, you, you play on the reality of it, it seems like even though punk has his supporters, it seems like the majority of the AEW fan base itself would be behind the elite and, and is on the elite side of this. I think the natural thing to do is have punk be the heel in the scenario and, and a strong heel. And honestly, if he really wants to do business and he can swallow his pride in that scenario, then the elite need to go over strong, even though uh, it's not something that I would like to see. I think if you're talking best for business and you're talking, are we really going to do this and make the most of it? Give the fans what they want. Give these fans what they want. I think I get the sense that that's what they would want is this arrogant jerk off who came into our locker room of, that we love of AEW and tried to like turn it into WWE or whoever you want to spin it. Screw this guy and let's see him get humiliated and soundly thrashed. I think maybe that's the way you go with it. Yeah, yeah. maybe one of the, the especially if it's going to be short term and you're not going to build the whole show around him, obviously. I think maybe one of the hottest things they could do is actually bring him back in that kind of a character where he just reels against everything that AEW is and everything it became. I think just... he should have came in from the beginning that way. That was what I was saying. How do you guys, Jason, how do you how do you think fans receive him? So so Punk shows up on Dynamite next week, that you know, the music plays, he walks in. What's the reaction? People will go nuts. They'll love him. They will. They'll give him that pop that he gets because there's very few people who get the pop that he does. So It'll be Even huge. now, because I do yeah. wonder how much kind of built-in, you know, AEW, you know, we're 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 with the team that that kind of loyalist uh, resentment. They're, you know, how much do they see him as the guy who kind of ruined everything? You know, I don't think they will. I think they'll embrace him until he gives them a reason on the microphone not to. I think they'll they'll love him. Yeah, and and the other qu- question, Jason. Uh, we touch on it, whether it's Punk versus Omega, uh, Punk and FTR versus uh, the Elite, which seems to be it's certainly the match that FTR uh, wants to do. Um, how big is that match? I mean, is 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 that the, the biggest thing? What, you're talking about Wembley Stadium. I guess it fits 80,000 people. I don't know realistically anybody thinks they're going to get 80,000 people in there. I'd be happy to be proven wrong. Is that the biggest match that they could put on? It's a maybe the biggest match they can put on, but it's not 80,000 seats big, yeah. I think. And that's the difference. I mean, I don't know if there's any match that AEW can put on that will be, yep, yeah, I'm buying a ticket to that for that match. It's more of people are coming to see AEW at Wembley. Yeah. That's what this is going to be sold on. There's no British Bulldog type of character that's going to sell those amount of tickets. So whether I think something like Punk versus Omega or a six-man with Punk and the FTR against the elite is probably or even a double bill of two of the two matches maybe punk versus omega and bucks versus ftr as like a double bill kind of thing yeah, yeah. and you throw in a uh, i guess it's also been discussed the sting retirement um you know if you did something like that that'd be a big deal interesting Over. that n- nowhere Over. in this yeah yeah <laughs> Interesting that that nowhere in this conversation are we talking about their world champion, <laughs> uh, MJF, and and yeah, and uh, how dare you? He's from my backyard. Uh, it, we just had a, a MJF day here on Long Island a couple of weeks ago, um, but but it, it is interesting. You know, we should talk a little bit about the MJF 
experiment and, and how it's going, you know, double or nothing, one of their big tent pole shows, it looks like the plan is a, a four way with the four pillars of, of AEW, um, which I think will be a really good match. I don't know how, how marquee, how much box office it is. Um, but this is all to say, Brian, how, how do you think MJF is doing? Well, um, I, I, I want to say with him related to Wembley, you know, I was thinking about this, that if the let's just say you get punk back, yes, I'll, I'll come back, but no, I will not. You know, the, Omega and those guys say we're not getting in the ring with that guy. Forget about it. Then your plan B could be and this is not as good, but your strong plan B could be doing Punk and MJF for the title, which was the match that was supposed to happen and never happened. Like, the, I mean, I know it happened, but I mean, like the whole, that was supposed to be the passing of the torch kind of thing that didn't quite happen for MJF. It wound up being Moxley instead. So, I mean, like they could have, they could do something with that potentially. I think MJF is a great, strong talent. I, I think he is stuck in a situation where he's being limited by creative and i think that's the problem and it really stands out like the opening of the show of dynamite this week is a great example because i mean that until he showed up that was terrible i mean i don't think there's anybody that would that would where they had darby allen jungle boy sammy guevara again having this debate over i paid my dues i came here i lived in my car I did this. You had everything handed to you on a silver platter. And and none of these guys really seeming to have the confidence on the mic, especially Jungle Boy. And then MJF walks in, and immediately the segment is entertaining. He immediately just lifts it up. You can actually hear what he's saying. <laughs> it, it just, you know, he comes across as more of a star, more ready, because that segment was rough. It was brutal. I feel like if I had never watched wrestling before and I started the show and that's how the show started, I would feel like I never wanted to watch it again. So, I mean, like, he's got enormous potential. They just have to harness it and handle it. I'm glad they're maybe keeping away from these weird autobiographical soliloquies about traumatic experiences. Very strange stuff. But, I mean, under the right circumstances – the potential is still limitless for the guy, and and I think uh, there's still this this uh, pent up demand for a an MJF uh, babyface run, and I think they'll eventually get there. But it's about when the timing is right. Maybe right. CM Punk is the one to do that, right? I mean, a, a heel CM Punk with MJF representing AEW against him, uh, that might be the, the the perfect kind of conditions uh, to pull the trigger on MJF babyface turn. That could be. And also MGF, everything I've seen and heard and know about him, he also comes across as the type of a guy that, even though I don't think there's love lost between him and Punk either, I think he's way more likely to do business because I think, to be frank, and this is my own personal opinion, I think he understands the business better, even though he's younger than those other guys. I think he he gets it in the old school sense of like, we're here to make money. And I'm, you know, I may think you're a jerk and you think I'm a jerk and, but this is the smart move. I think he's way more likely to do that and really run with it too. Yeah. Did you see those uh, uh, comments from uh, Adam Page about taking criticism? And this was one of the, um, uh, the criticisms from, from Punk that, you know, uh, Page sort of like blew off uh, guys like him and what do you know? And he, 
he all but confirmed it, right? And uh, I think that's one of the things you're touching on, Brian, in terms of some of these younger guys. Yeah, and, and it was funny because there was a comment from Page recently. I forget what context it came from, from Hangman Page, where um, it had to do with something about the younger wrestlers learning from from – Oh, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. He just said this a day I, or two I, yeah, ago. I think that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, right. And, but it, it was it, almost like he was saying, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm talking about the guys coming up behind me. Like uh, like they need to learn something. You know, these guys that are like, I'm not really in that category. At least that's the sense that I got from it. Yeah. And the reality is, uh, I don't know, is it too much to call him a disappointment? But But his world title run... You know, it didn't set the world on fire. I was sad about that because I, I really thought it would it, it was, he was going to do better there. I think he's, you know, great. I think he's got something. There's something about him. He has like a certain it factor, like that that intangible thing that you can't quantify. I can't really explain it, but he's got it. But I feel like, yeah, he's he's just not – it's not clicking. It's not – I don't know if maybe WWE would, would have handled him better, but it's not clicking to me. Yeah. That's what kind of concerns me about the MJF title run is that the Adam Page one ended up being very underwhelming. And so far, the MJF one, in my opinion, has been as well. I think MJF has actually done better than the creative and the situations he's been put in, but it still hasn't been great. And so there's kind of parallels there. And I'm hoping both of them can kind of rebound from that and get back to where they maybe once were. Yeah, because I, Page has this interesting persona that I think is that you could do a lot with where it's like, He's unique. He's like he's this baby face that is very likable, but he comes across as someone with a lot of doubt and like a lot of angst. But it's not but it doesn't make him weak. You know, he like pulls it off in a way that he's a very relatable character. He's like a hero who doubts himself. But in the end, the audience knows that he could do it. They believe in him more than he believes in himself. I think it's like a great it's an interesting Thing that you don't you don't see that type a lot in wrestling yeah i i think one of the other factors here is that you know when you talk about mjf and hangman page and the fact that both of those uh title runs you know again weren't all that um exciting i think mjf is doing fine and has had some really good matches but i think some of it is a um a reflection and and you com- compare and contrast that against Chris Jericho's title run and uh, Moxley's title runs and even Punk um, and how much more attention those got. Some of that speaks to WWE, right? And the the value of of having been a star in WWE. You know, um, they they did this event out here on Long Island a few weeks ago with MJF, uh, where he was getting before they did it on TV. He was getting a, a key to the town of Oyster Bay, where he's from. And they invited uh, some media and uh, I, I went over there and expecting MJF, big TV star on Long Island, um, you know, is going to be available for autographs, whatever, expecting to pull into Oyster Bay Town Hall and not be able to find anywhere to park because it's going to be so crowded. There were 25 fans there, something like that, you know, um, it's fine you know, respectable. Uh, they couldn't even fill this small auditorium in Oyster Bay Town Hall. If that was CM Punk, if that was Chris Jericho, that was John Moxley, Brian Danielson, I, I guarantee it would be a, a lot different. And, and that's the thing. There, There is being a star in AEW, and then there's being a wrestling star 
Um, and, and that's what Punk brings to the table and Jericho and Moxley and some others. And the reality is that that's a product of having been a star in WWE. And it's what MJF doesn't have. It's what Hangman Page doesn't have. Um, you know, it, it certainly shouldn't be everything, but it's a factor in, in terms of business, uh, I think for sure. Um, why don't we, at a little bit of time we've got left here, talk a little bit about uh, WWE. And uh, we're, we're now not quite a month removed from WrestleMania, but a few weeks. And, um, you know, Brian, last time we were talking, we were trying to kind of put in perspective, was this a good move? Not going with Cody. Now a few weeks removed, they've turned the page. Uh, Cody's working with Brock. And we, we basically have a card for, for Backlash. Roman Reigns is nowhere to be found. Um, Cody's working with with Brock Lesnar. Is the move looking any and, and different people have weighed in on it, you know, for what that's worth. We've seen some people who are pretty respected and, and Steve Austin among them thinking that it was a fantastic finish. Uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes also praised the finish, thought it was the right thing to do with this idea that make him wait for it kind of thing. And you're, you'll you'll build that anticipation uh, by putting off that uh, that win uh, a, a little longer. Um, is, is the decision looking any better or any worse? I've tried to convince myself that what they're doing is is Rocky and Rocky 2. That the first match, Rocky didn't Don't win. mention that to, uh, to CM Punk. You might like, go crazy. Rocky 3, baby. Rocky 3. <laughs> never saw it. Don't know what it is. So I'm, I'm hoping this is what they're going for WrestleMania 40 is the rematch and Cody wins, just like Rocky 2. I assumed I that being in the building, as soon as we saw the finish, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, as soon as he was done, uh, and and uh, Cody uh, got pinned, I thought, all right, we've got the the main event to WrestleMania forty, and and it is the rematch. But but I don't a know. Year though, a year. Yeah. You really think? See, the problem was, I think Cody getting hurt. As I think I said this last time, I think that the plan may have always been he loses the first one wins the second one, but I think it was supposed to be SummerSlam WrestleMania because if you're going to do Rocky yeah. 2, the place to do Rocky 2 is WrestleMania, not SummerSlam. This seems so backwards to me. So the more I, I now with hindsight look at it, I think I think this was the plan, but I think they should have shifted gears. Under, they should have said, okay, we're going to change this now to, to give this make this something more satisfying because – I have not changed my stance on this. It it still feels wrong. Even if he gets it in the end, which I think he probably will at some point, it's still not going to be as big of a deal. Look, and, and, and honestly, I'm still not convinced that this isn't some weird like head game here because I'm playing the wait and see with what happens with Lesnar. Because if you're thinking, even though I don't agree with it, if you're thinking is, okay, He's going to go over Lesnar, which is going to make him look really, which is going to rehabilitate him. He's going to look super strong. And now he'll be ready to come back at Roman. Now, oh my God, this guy beat Brock Lesnar. I still say, why couldn't you do that with Cody as the champion? But if he loses to Lesnar, then I know the game is over. Then I know the weird game they're playing. If Lesnar comes out of this feud on top, Cody's dead. He's done. The feud. The but feud, not necessarily the, the match, right? Because I, I think it's very – if I had to uh, put money on it, I think I'd bet on Lesnar at, at Backlash um, in as much as this is going to be a program. And um, I, I I think it, if, if this is a program, I think it makes sense to have Brock win it uh, and have, you know, whether you I build just, up to SummerSlam or, or what have you. 
I just um, think, but that there's Co- eleven months to kill. Still. I know, but I think Cody is on a precipice where it's like he is. Like we saw in AEW, even though it's a very different fan base, he's the kind of a baby face that fans can turn on very easily if he's not positioned the right way. He can turn into like you know Kurt Angle or something, you know, and he, that type of a character where it's like the corny, disingenuous, like insufferable baby face wannabe like that could happen very easily so i just i question the wisdom he needs something really strong and and if if they go oh now he's gonna feud with lesnar and you know what he's gonna lose again because he's gotta earn it and he's gotta come back it's like at what point does the freaking guy beat somebody you know like he's got to be carefully handled and this is not what i call careful handling at all this is playing with fire of having the fans turn on him yeah i I have all the same reservations i also think there is a way that it can work right i think there's a way where march uh this time next year or march of of next year we're saying you know what it all worked out and now this match is bigger than ever, and and you bring up uh, Jason the the Rocky uh, analogy. Where's WrestleMania Forty going to be? Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, Philadelphia with Rocky on on the statue, the the Rocky statue on the steps right there. Um, so, you know, this the, there's absolutely a way that this ends up better than you know the scenario uh, that we wanted. Um, but it it takes a lot of patience, a lot of careful planning. What you know, and, and not to just have a rerun of our last episode, what makes me nervous about all of it now is the return of Vince McMahon. If if you put this in the hands of, of Paul Levesque of Triple H, uh, I'm confident that he could pull it off and Cody could pull it off. I don't know that Vince McMahon three months from now is like, nah, forget it. You know, uh, you know, we're changing plans we're, and and whatever. Bray Wyatt's the champion or, or something. Austin um, theory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I. I think there's a way um, they get there. Um, let's talk about, about Roman Reigns, who is our current world champion. Nowhere to be seen. Yeah, we, we heard that he might take some time off. To me, that's kind of like the more puzzling part is what, what do you do with this guy between now and and next year's uh, WrestleMania? I mean, you can throw new opponents. And I'm fine with them, like, filling some time, you know, between major shows. They don't all have to be the biggest uh, in, in the world. You know, now that Nakamura is back on TV and seems to be getting a little attention, I wondered, you know, do they build him up uh, to be the next challenger to beat him? You know, and, and I think that's fine, but I'd, I'd be interested in, in seeing it in the ring, Nakamura and, and Roman Reigns. Uh, so I'll ask you that, Jason. And also, I guess part of that, how does the draft maybe uh, figure into this in terms of making some moves that that maybe freshen things up a little bit? In terms of Roman, I think there is still some money matches to be had there. I think there's a lot of meat on the bones still left on the Seth Rollins yeah. Feud and, and going somewhere with that. Um, there's some other matches there, Sheamus, Gunther, um, things like that. In terms of how the draft's going to affect this, I don't know because I still don't know. Are WWE committed to separate brands? Are they yeah, not? With the draft, yes, it seems like they are. But I actually said to, to Kevin, our editor this week, I'm having trouble doing the WWE ratings because I don't know who works on what show anymore. They're right. back and forward. So, um, what I would like to see from the draft is a clear division of the two rosters with Roman as the champion appearing on both shows. That's fine to build up whoever he's feuding with, but I'm hoping that we will get some, at least some fresh matchups out of the draft. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that you, you mentioned Seth Rollins, and that's a, another name that's been in the news a little bit and, and some 
but some rumors about him maybe not being too happy with his spot in, in the company, him wanting that that match um, at WrestleMania 40 with Roman. And I guess Roman, and, you know, how much of this is, you know, just for show, Roman suggesting maybe that that is the match to do. Uh, Brian, I, I, I think they can have a hell of a match. I think Brian, uh, uh, Seth might be, you know, top to bottom, the best wrestler in, in the company. I, I think it's got a very limited marquee value in, in that, you know, we, we've kind of seen it and Seth is what he is and he's very good, but he is not that guy. I don't think that is going to take you to that next level. I mean, Cody feels like a moment in time, a, a real special situation, a guy and, and the numbers bear that out. I don't see that with Seth at all. No, and that would be the if they go that route, that would be the classic, op, you know, example of just a blown opportunity and just going with something safe and going back to the same stuff you've been doing. Um, you know, if, if I'm fantasy booking the impossible, and I'm not saying this would be someone to beat him, but a phenomenal thing that could happen is if they could lure Moxley back because. Yeah of the shield thing and the track record and everything that's happened and people, him going to AEW and being a world champion there, but still being overshadowed by Roman. I think that could be massively huge. I still don't think it's, it's a reason to not pull the trigger with Cody, but if there was a way, and, and I haven't heard a single rumor about it, but if, if there was a way, I think that would be enormous to do. Uh, uh- a triple threat match, you know, maybe uh, that. And, and, yeah, and, and I don't and normally a, like them, but that would be a situation. Oh, that if ever there was a it. triple threat match, yeah, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, um, the, the uh, kind of a smaller thing, but I, I think when we were talking leading into WrestleMania about you know what else would we do to make this uh, storyline uh, that much better, Cody and Roman. That is, um, I brought up Dustin Rhodes, and uh, that was impossible. Dustin's contract is up uh, this year. He has said he's looking to uh, retire. So all signs are he is going to be free at the end of the year or, or sometime later this year to join his brother in uh, WWE. Not that that's a huge factor, but again, in terms of little things that can make that story uh, more compelling, um, I, I think Dustin in, in Cody's corner sort of filling the role of his father, you know, and uh, encouraging him, uh, um, I think could be really special. Yeah, because Dustin, be the, no, no, sorry, please, Ryan, Jason, no, go, please. I was just going to say he could be the, the Burgess Meredith kind of character. Yes. More like like it's 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 that's, that's just I hope he doesn't get killed, though. That's the only thing. <laughs> well, yeah. <okay. laughs> yeah. Let's keep uh, Mr. T out of the building. He, he's also, you know, he's a lot older than Cody. And so yeah. there, is that, there is that um, whole sense of, like, him being a surrogate and being, like, more than just the brother. He's, like, the mentor. He could be. The coach, yeah. I mean, you can do a lot with that. And if he comes back, most certainly you're talking Hall of Fame. So, I mean, you can bundle that all together. You know, if that's next year's WrestleMania, you got Dustin going in the Hall of Fame. You got Cody potentially getting the belt. I mean, that, you know, if they can sustain it till then, that would make it all worth it. But I think we've convinced Brian. (laughs) That's a big if. That's a big if. Very big if. And, and kind of going full circle to to we're talking about Nick Aldis. I mean, sometimes it it's the the right guy in just the right circumstances. The reality is Dustin Rhodes can only mean so much in AEW uh, right now, and it is neither a slight on AEW management or decision makers or Dustin Rhodes. 
Um, but he's going to be in the spot that he's in. He comes from WWE. Not that he's like the top guy, but but he has that ready-made storyline um, w- with his brother and, again, f- filling the, the role of, of their father. Like you touched on Hall of Fame. It just makes all the sense of the world. Uh, so hopefully and i don't care if he wrestles or not i mean i think he could still go the guy looks great he looks you know better at whatever he is now 52 53 years old than he did literally 20 years ago i mean he he's he's in fantastic shape um so i don't doubt that he could go uh but yeah we'll see uh all right guys uh you know i never totally got the plugs out of the way so just uh, uh one more reminder june issue of pro wrestling illustrated uh lots of fun stuff in here uh, Jason's story about the uh, the knockouts uh, on the cover. Your hot seat interview, Brian, with uh, Nick Aldis. Uh, I've got a feature in here about uh, Bray Wyatt. There's stuff in here about AEW's uh, good guy, bad guy problem, uh, and a lot more. Pick it up on newsstands uh, now or go over to pwi-online.com and uh, subscribe. Uh, anything else you guys want to plug real quick? Um, well, I guess there's there's my podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle, um, which I've had a lot of great guests recently. I had Ken Patera on very recently. I would encourage people to check out that one. It's a must listen. But um, The Jailbird? <laughs> that's right. We talked about that. We talked about the McDonald's. He brought it up. I didn't. We Whenever, about- you know, my, my, my brother and my old friends, when we were watching Wrestling in the 80s, we still make jokes about the jailbird just because, you know, Keenan yep. calling him the jailbird. Yep. And I, I actually got to tell him that that was my first exposure to him. So I, cause yeah. I was a kid, I didn't even know that he had been this, this monster heel. Like I just thought he was the sympathetic character. And, but I mean, he, he's the kind of guy that will just say anything that comes to mind and he does. So it, it was a great episode. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm proud of that one. So it's shut up and wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. People could find it wherever they find their podcasts. Yes, and Jason, I never even got your Twitter up here because uh, I wasn't sure if you were joining us. But uh, uh, are you even on Twitter? I don't know. I am. Yes, you can find me at uh, jbladeko on Twitter. And just a, a bit of a plug for the PWI Weekly as well. Um, it hits inboxes every Monday. Um, it's absolutely free, so you can go on to pwi-online.com and sign up for that. There's some good content on there. Yep, and certainly as we get closer to the Wembley show, and also Money in the Bank is coming uh, to your your neck of the woods, right? Big things here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so we'll be talking for sure. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining me. Everybody else, we will be back soon. Thanks so much.